got an excellent day for an exorcism. You'd like that? Intensely. But wouldn't that drive you out of Reagan? It would bring us together. You and Reagan? You and us. Did you do that? again in time no now in time do you ever fantasize about being killed do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying you know violently i wonder like what would be the most horrible way to die Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. following program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. All right. So, um, you know, sometimes a movie comes along that is just so powerful. It's a movie that, like, it hits that moving note, right? Like, it's a force to be reckoned with. It's a movie so strong, emotional, thought-provoking that it tears at the inner fabric of its audience, leaving them with such a gut punch they can't help but be floored by the experience. A movie so captivating that it evokes a feeling so surreal that even 50 years after its premiere, it's still a primary focal point in any discussion within its genre. Today, it just so happens a movie of that caliber will be the target of focus for this show. Today, I will be talking about a movie that is a huge part of my love for the horror genre. This week's cornerstone of motion picture is the one, the only, Highlander 2. And crickets... Okay, from the bad humor department, that is Studio Zero. It is your unfortunate punishment to be welcome back to the show hosted by the hack known as Postmortem Paul. Yes, kitties, you pressed play on another episode of What What Lurks Lurks Behind Behind Podcast Podcast Zero. Zero. And yeah, I, um, hmm. yeah, I know. You're just as excited as I am to take a dive into um, what would what what some would call the worst movie ever, one of the worst movies ever, Highlander Two, yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, but just so you know, that will have to wait another week or millennium because okay, 
This week, the real movie getting the attention, getting all the love and all the accolades. This week is the 1973 Immortal Classic, based on the novel by William Peter Blatty. Yes, lurkers, it is a good day for The Exorcist. And I gotta be honest with you about something. See, (laughs) I'm not really sure... I'm not sure if I can bring anything new to the table on this movie. I mean, 50 years this movie's been around. Well, 50 years this December. But still, that being said, like, this movie's older than me. Um, and it's been talked about for 50 years. So, what do, what, what do I say? What do I talk about in this episode that you haven't heard before? I guess we'll see where this week's show goes in terms of that focused cinematic experience. But, um, okay. So, before we get into that, and trust me, there's a reason why I'm talking about this story. It all comes full circle way later. But anyways, most of you have probably heard the big news. Yes, the big, big, extravagant news of Miramax. Snagging the rights to the Halloween franchise. Yeah. Because, yes, we all knew. And you know you thought it too when Halloween ends. The finale of Halloween ends came and Michael Myers was killed. We knew that wouldn't actually kill him. We knew this franchise was not done. Um, It's too bad Halloween ends didn't have the same effect on me as Saw 10 did. Did you listen to last week's episode? Yeah, if you did, you know what I'm talking about. Saw 10 still being critically acclaimed. What the fuck, people? But anyways, back to Halloween. I don't know. Um, Maybe I should be happy that Halloween ends did what it did and pretty much put a knife in Michael Myers. Maybe, Maybe we are done that. No. Um, oh, hold on a minute. I have an idea. There is a way Miramax could revive Halloween. It could bring it back and make it, make it fucking epic. You know how you do this? Bring back Busta Rhymes. Yes. Give me Taekwondo versus Mikey Myers. In a sequel prequel that could... Oh, hold on. Even better. This could take place before Freddie Harris is born. I know. It's sad that I know what Buster Rhymes' name was in the movie. But anyways. But here's the thing. We could have that Mikey goes up against Freddie's father. Oh, we could do this like a a prequel. Like, well, I said, sequel prequel, right? Well, well, what do they call that? A requel or... I call it a suck my dick will, but anyways, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, But here's the thing. So we could bring back Buster Rhymes. Buster Rhymes could play Freddy's father. He could look just like his son, Uh, but maybe with a little more woo-ha, woo-ha. But anyways, he could be some like mutant ninja, right? Who loves pizza. Yeah, we'll we'll throw pizza in the mix. Might as well. Fuck, why not? Um, Ninja Turtles are successful, so come on. A pizza loving, uh, yeah, pizza loving ninja. He could be named after a great artist, like I don't know, um, Canva AI. Oh, there we go, perfect. Yeah, um, 
and he could have the secret as to why Michael had the blackest eyes in 1978, but then his eyes were blue in Halloween H2O. Could you imagine that? Like, and he threatens to go to the media with this story or something? I don't know. Anyway, you get my point. I have a good feeling that Miramax buying the rights to Halloween, the franchise, I got a feeling this is going to be fucking embarrassing. <laughs> like, really? Again? Um, okay, hold on. I'm going to stop there for a second and say, here's my hot take on this one, okay? Earlier when I was talking about the whole Freddy and Buster Rhymes and all that shit, that was a joke. You want to make Halloween great again? Oh, God, I hate that I just said it that way. But anyways, do you really want... Does Miramax really want to make Halloween something that we all want to go see in the theaters again? Here's here's my idea. Halloween Anthology. Or remember that brilliant mind named John Carpenter, how he had this idea back in what 1981 when he wanted to do Halloween 2 but he didn't want it to be about Michael Myers he eventually wrote that script that they wanted and he made Laurie Michael's sister and all this other bullshit and whatnot which honestly I will say I love Halloween 2 so I'm not knocking it but then when Halloween 3 season of the witch came out this was John's idea in the whole fucking first place, right? So here's an idea. Let's focus on the idea of a Halloween franchise having to actually deal with Halloween-based stories. I don't know, urban legends about bad candy. Hey, that was the hidden egg in Halloween too, right? Kid going to the hospital and he ate bad candy and it cut his mouth open. And that was supposed to actually be what he wanted to do. Anyway... I've ranted about this before. We could do the bad candy thing. You could do about uh, a horror movie about trick-or-treating. Make it go wrong or something like that. Playing pranks. Monsters. Samhain, maybe. I know we sort of touched up on that in Season of the Witch, but everyone wants to act like that's the movie that shouldn't have the Halloween name. I say all the Michael Myers movies should change their name because they're not actually about Halloween. They're about Michael Myers. But anyways... You could have movies about witches and black cats. You could have broomsticks. I don't know. Do something stupid. Have fun with these things. And I realized, all right, Michael Doherty, he already did this. And he did it better in one movie than a whole fucking franchise of the Myers story. That movie, Trick or Treat, from 2007, is easily better than almost every sequel in the Halloween franchise. Why? Maybe because it's about fucking Halloween. Um... But seriously, this is the time to do it right. Miramax, I, I hate Miramax. But the thing is, is I, I say that as Miramax has given me some of my favorite movies, like the Kill Bill movies and how many Kevin Smith movies did they do? But I, it's Scream franchise and all that. They've done a lot of good. Miramax has done good. It's just, unfortunately, there's certain names tied to Miramax that make us go, ugh. But, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is Miramax could finally deliver on that idea that 40-plus years ago, John Carpenter wanted for the Halloween brand. I actually think as much as when I first read that, I was like, ugh, why couldn't A24 have won this one out? But the thing is, maybe this isn't all bad. Miramax has that strength and that power. They can promote this properly. You can use your social media and websites and news media. Do it right this time. And not to mention, Miramax is a big name. Most people do know it. Some for the reasons we'd rather they not know it because, yeah, they're like I said, those names tied to it. But that being said, 
They're a powerhouse that could do something right. Do what Blumhouse should have done, right? I don't know, because honestly, and let's be honest about this, what could we possibly do to make another Michael Myers story, make it fresh, and something audiences would actually adore again? Really, think about this for a minute. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is done with the franchise. She already said, she's out. Ain't calling on her to come back any anytime soon again. You know, she's done. She's moving on. I mean, you could maybe do a better story with Jamie Lloyd now. Have Daniel Harris come back. But then you're asking fans to follow yet another goddamn timeline. And honestly, okay, I know I'm that guy who said, hey, I can enjoy movies because I just view them as part of a multiverse angle. But with Halloween, we've already done this, what, three or four different ways? It's lost its gleam. Honestly, I'm one of those nutty fans. Let's let's go back to the anthology idea. It wouldn't be a bad thing. We could flush out stories that actually have something to do with the season of the witch. Um, all right, I know that title's already been used, but you get my point. Let's talk about something that has to do with Halloween Give it a full movie. I mean, Trick or Treat is fucking awesome, but all those stories were... Well, that was one hell of a clever movie, though, because it all ties in. Everything was linked, so in a way, it was one big movie, but it was all smaller stories, right? You could now do the John Carpenter idea and have each movie be its own story instead of making another slasher flick in an already tired franchise. Just my two cents on the matter. Which, by the way, I say tired franchise. Yes, I did like Halloween and Halloween Kills. But Halloween ends, like I said, that's the story that should have started in 2018 and you flushed it out over three movies. And they didn't get that right. So, anyway, that's that. I wish... You know how normally I open the show with a lot of small reviews and stuff like that? I really wish I could do that. Um, Problem is, (laughs) uh, we had a Friday the 13th. Yay. Happy belated for all of you who love Friday the 13th. I'm one of them. Trust me. I think anyone following my social media was probably sick of me by the end of the day. (laughs) But the thing is, we also had like a lot of series all get released that day. What was it? Creep Show got released that day. Goosebumps, Fall of the House of Usher. I believe all three of those were October 13th, if I'm correct. And then not to mention, we also have Chucky currently going right now. Castlevania Nocturne, I'm one episode away from finishing. So I'll be able to talk about that a little bit more like next episode. But right now, I still have one episode left for that. I will say it where I'm at right now. The show isn't as good as the original series but so far i'm liking it for what it is it is fun i do like it there's things that have put a smile on my face but i do think that original castlevania series that was that was something else uh chucky we've had two episodes so far it's doing a weekly thing here on sci-fi and usa um both have been great Uh, a few hysterical moments in both episodes i love that they're bringing the humor you know, I love that Chucky has... It's found its niche. 
You know, it realizes as a horror, as true horror, like full on horror, it's not going to work anymore. because There's too many people going, well, just kick the doll, like get it over with, you know. So bring the humor back and also bring Devin Sawa back <laughs> yet again. Another season. Um, what? First season, his character was killed. They brought him back. The second season, that character was killed. Now he's back again and he's playing the president of the United States of America. Hmm. You better hope he doesn't get killed. Uh, but I mean, seriously, it, it's it's funny they they brought him back yet again. Uh, there's only two more episodes to go because then they're doing this whole thing where they're doing like four episodes now and then four in 2024. So I have no clue when that's supposed to debut in 2024. I'm sure maybe somewhere it's been rumored. I'm gonna think somewhere around March, but I don't know. I did watch the first episode of creep show season four um on shutter all six episodes were released all at once i believe on amc they're doing it as a weekly thing uh the first episode two segments uh one titled 20 minutes with cassandra and the other one was called smile no not related to the movie smile at least you know i was thinking about that the other day actually i haven't watched smile yet like the movie and I don't hope out of me, but it is on the list. But I also know that a lot of people said it was weird. And I was like, I guess I got to be in a weird mood to watch it. I don't know. But anyways, the two segments on creep shows, uh, first episode, both were different, entertaining and amusing all at the same time. It was weird. It was a weird episode, but I liked it. Um, the first segment of the episode, uh, the 20 minutes with Cassandra, that was actually quite funny. Um, they brought the humor with that one. A lot of dark humor, but it was it was fun. I definitely loved the monster in that first segment, so that was cool. Um, much like with Castlevania, by the next time I record an episode, I should be done watching the remaining five episodes, so I might be able to elaborate more on my thoughts for season four. But as it stands right now, that first episode was pretty solid. I did like it. And as for Goosebumps and the Fall of the House of Usher, I haven't even started them yet. Uh, it's a busy October. <laughs> Trying to watch new movies, new TV series, um, video games that like Cyberpunk, the Phantom Liberty DLC. I'm still trying to actually you know, get to that point in the game. It's like, because I'm just all over the place. Plus work sucks. I won't get into that, but... Um, that's a human thing, right? You know, like every, If you honestly say you love your job, it's because you're not doing a normal job. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyways, it's, it's October. It's always a busy month. Usually, as much as I'm on a complete high for the whole month, I also hit a real low once November kicks in because I'm exhausted by that. <laughs> so... Anyways, yes, Goosebumps, Fall of House of Usher, I have not gotten to yet, but now it's time in this week's episode where I try to give love and focus to a movie that I've been afraid to tackle. And you're thinking, well, why would you be afraid to talk about a movie you love so much? That's the problem. It's simply because what, what can I possibly, like I said earlier, what can I possibly say about a movie that hasn't been said before. What can I possibly say to critique a movie that I love this much? I mean, I guess after the break, I, we may find out, but it's, it really, 
it's movies. I'll mention there's this movie, The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, those are probably the two that intimidate me the most. Is this one and The Thing. Just because, honestly, there's so much out there about them. Fright Night is another one, too. There's a ton of stuff out in the world about Fright Night. What do I actually say that you haven't heard before? That's why I sort of hesitate with certain movies, because it's like, what do I do? So anyways, like I said, after the break, we'll find out. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. The world of darkness. Nobody expected it. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. Now, I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! One hope, the only hope, the exorcist. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the show after that small little trailer break. And now is the time. This is. I realized something with my show, you know, as I was telling you before the break, you know, this was one of those movies that intimidated me. I didn't, I put it off because I didn't know how to talk about it. Cause I mean, and and I'll be honest with you. Some of these movies that I have reviewed in the past, I have sort of wondered why I bothered because it's like, well, I just love the movie. (laughs) It would, you know, what's there to talk about? But the thing is, is that, a movie like The Exorcist, or like I also said, John Carpenter's The Thing, uh, these are movies that it, they mean so much to me that I don't want to do them a discredit by talking about them. But at the same time, it's like, well, why should I be afraid to talk about something that I love? So this is me sort of braving it up and saying, okay, it's the month of October. This is usually my best month of the year. And... We just had the release of Exorcist Believer. I'll talk a little bit about that later. <laughs> um, so why not talk about the one movie that has... Well, it, it's one of those movies that has stood out in my life for many, many years. It's one of the reasons I love this genre so much. So it's like, okay, it's time to tackle... The Exorcist, Exorcist. which I love the release date to this movie. I 
this is me. This is what makes my blood run wild and happy and free. When I say that the movie The Exorcist was released December 26th, 1973. One day after the world celebrates the birth of their beloved Christ... People then flock to the theaters to see a demon named Pazuzu possess a young girl and watch as she masturbated herself with a crucifix. Good times. (laughs) It's like, seriously, you want to talk about a, a contrast, like total night and day. You have... December 25th, everyone's happy. It's Christmas Day. Let's celebrate the birth of Christ. He wasn't even born on the 25th. But anyways, let's celebrate this. And then the next day, let's all go to the theaters to watch a movie where a little girl is going to be possessed by Pazuzu, saying he's the devil. And we're going to watch a girl grab a, a, a crucifix. A, you know, it's, what, what, what is she supposed to be? Eight or ten in the movie? And she's going to masturbate herself with this fucking crucifix. And it's like, wow. <laughs> no wonder people were bothered by this movie. Um, I love that. You, you could not have picked a better day to release this movie on. And I know that it, it probably sounds very mean of me to say that. But I just love the contrast because this movie is all about conflict, right? The, the, the pure basis of The Exorcist is about conflict. It's about struggles. So you have a conflict of one day it's happy and joyous and let's celebrate with family, life and love. And the next day, oh, now we go to the theaters and we're going to watch a family go through utter fucking hell. Like, it's just, wow. Talk about black and white. Um... Anyways, the director behind this amazing movie, William Friedkin, uh, was also responsible for directing such movies as The French Connection, Sorcerer, To Live and Die in L.A., The Guardian, The Hunted, and Bug. Sadly, though... Oh, by the way, this is also going to be probably one of the most morbid rundowns I ever go through of people involved in this movie, as I'd say a good 95% of them are no longer alive. Yes, it was depressing going through this part of this, uh, like going through all of this and looking up notes and stuff. like. I was like, wow, everybody's dead. <laughs> but anyways, he passed away. Uh, This year, actually, as a matter of fact, about two months ago, August 7th of 2023, to be exact, he was 87 years old. I will say, now there was something that happened that day that sort of brought a smile to my face on what would normally be sort of a, a, you know, a little bit more of a depressing day, was... Going on social media, and you know me, I hate social media, but I will say, when William Friedkin passed away, I went on social media, and I saw so many people talking about the movie The Guardian, showing love to this movie. Now, I was, I saw the movie when I, when I was first, I was still what, pretty young, it was on cable, I saw it on cable TV, I saw it in the middle of the night on top of that. And I love the movie. Yeah, it's it's an odd movie. It's kind of weird. Um, but I did love that movie. 
and I know that a lot of people it didn't get the love that it should it's not as widely recognized as say The Exorcist right so I mean people saw William Friedkin passed away and you saw it all over the place director of The Exorcist has died directors of The Exorcist dead at 87 blah 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 that was all the media and then I see horror fans going by the way there's this movie called The Guardian and it's a really good movie and I was it made me happy to see that on the internet. I was like, yes, there's more than just me out in this world that loves this movie. So as sad as it was that, yes, William Friedkin did pass away this year. I was really happy to see that I was not alone in my love for The Guardian. Now, our next credit goes to the writer who wrote he wrote the screenplay for this. He produced this movie. It's based on his novel, William Peter Blatty. Now, he also wrote for movies like The Ninth Configuration, which he also directed, and The Exorcist 3, which he also directed. And The Exorcist 3, I love this, but it <laughs> I sort of disagree with it, but I do love that it gets credited so much for having one of the greatest jump scares of all time all time as a matter of fact i think even when they uh when shutter had their um or was it amc had their 100 scariest moments in horror films and i believe it was like one of the top three like <laughs> it's it's up there like and it's a good jump scare i'm not gonna say it's not it's effective it works but i personally think the haunting of hill house you know the scene in the car in my opinion, that's the best jump scare I've ever seen in my life. To the point where I fucking jumped and high. <laughs> like, I literally jumped out of my seat. That was a good jump scare. Um, I will say this, though. Mr. Blatty, he gave us... He gave the world what we consider one of the greatest jump scares. And you can't take that away from him. I mean... Yeah, Exorcist 3 does have a good one. And I think it's because of the build-up, right? Like, if you've, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. There's that build-up going on, and you just... It's so unsettling because you feel like you know it's coming. And then you're like, oh, it's not going to... Oh, holy shit, there it is. And so it's... He, he nailed that. But he also nailed this. Like, The Exorcist... This is one of the best in the horror genre. Um, now, William, well, he passed away in 2017, January 2017. Uh, he was uh, 89 years old when he passed away. So that's, again, like I said, <laughs> this is a very morbid uh, cast and crew read-through. Um, cinematography by Owen Roisman. He also worked on films like The French Connection, uh, The Heartbreak Kid, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, Tootsie, Vision Quest, and if you say, hey, I think you talked about this guy before, I did, when I reviewed The Addams Family from 1991 because he was the cinematographer for that movie too. Um, he also worked on a few music videos uh, for Madonna. But they're the, they're the videos that accompanied the uh, movie Vision Quest. Uh, what was it? Uh, Crazy For You. And I forgot what the other one was. Fuck. There were two of them anyways. Um, he directed those as well. Or Well, he did the... I think they give him the credit of cinematography because scenes from the movie were in that video. I don't know that he filmed the actual shots with Madonna. 
So I don't know for sure. But he passed away this year also uh, in January at the age of 86. Now, normally I would talk about composer in these movies. Music for The Exorcist was not done in that traditional way of having, you know, like a single composer. Um, You know, there's no... uh, Danny Elfman or Ennio Marconi or you know, you know what I mean like there, no Jerry Goldsmith uh, there were composers whose music were used in this however if I'm going to focus on anything with The Exorcist it's that iconic and familiar theme you all know it everyone knows people that haven't even seen the movie The Exorcist know this music Tubular Bells. We all know that theme. It was done by Mike Oldfield. And I can happily say that Mike is still currently alive at 70 years old. I thought I would mention that since so many people in this are no longer with us. But he is still around. I believe, what did I hear that... I don't follow his career that closely, I'll be honest. So I don't know for sure. But I think he's got like his own radio station or something like that. A radio show or something. I think I read that somewhere before. But anyways, Tubular Bells is without a doubt. It's the theme everyone knows from The Exorcist. Now on to our starring cast. I took, um, what is there? Six, maybe eight names. There's a lot of people in this movie. I tried to focus on the main characters. Starting, 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 starting with, you know, starting with Ellen Burstyn as Chris McNeil. She has also been in movies like The Last Picture Show, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Interstellar, and Requiem for a Dream. She was also in the 2006 remake of The Wicker Man. Should I have mentioned that? <laughs> it's not a good movie. Um, Nicolas Cage, though, like ah, it bums me when I see that he's in bad movies because it's like I gotta, I don't know. I he I he amuses me. I think that's the best way to describe Nicolas Cage. He amuses me. His his over the top acting sometimes is just too good to be true. And other times it's not Wicker Man being one of them. Um, Ellen can also be currently seen in the direct sequel to The Exorcist, which is known as The Exorcist Believer. I'll be honest, not hearing good things about that movie. I still haven't seen it yet, so I cannot comment. Eventually, I'll watch it. (laughs) Eventually, when it goes digital, that's probably when I'll see it. Ah, now let's moving on to Max von Sydow as Father Marin. And let's be honest, most people will know him from Flash Gordon. He was the Emperor Ming. That's where most people are going to know him from. Other people might know him from The Greatest Story Ever Told, where he played Jesus. It's interesting how... Christ is coming up a lot in this week's episode. But yeah, he played Jesus. He's also been in movies like The Diary of Anne Frank. He was in Exorcist II, The Heretic, Conan the Barbarian, Strange Brew, Dreamscape, Dune. Here's one for you. This is a good one. He was the voice of Vigo in Ghostbusters 2. 
That's awesome. He was in Awakenings, uh, Needful Things, Judge Dredd, the Sly Stallone one, not the Carl Urban one, but he was in now, yeah. Well, Carl Urban's was Dredd, wasn't Judge Dredd, but anyways, you know what I mean. Uh, Minority Report, Shutter Island, uh, Force Awakens, and Game of Thrones. Sadly, Bon Zidao passed away in March of 2020. Right when good old COVID-19 was really starting to be a primary focus in this fucking world. Yeah, we all remember that time. Fun times! Moving on to Lee J. Cobb as the Lieutenant uh, William Kinderman, or Lieutenant Kinderman in this movie. Um, He was sort of, he did a lot of stage work and film. Um, His first appearance in film was in 1929. Uh, but originally he wanted to be a musician. I guess he was, he really excelled at playing violin, but his plans to make that a career, uh, basically came to a halt because he broke his wrist and never recovered properly from it. So he could never, he just couldn't play violin to the level he would have wanted to, to make that a career. So he went on to acting, um, in terms of horror films, action, anything like that. This is pretty much his only horror film. Um, and of course he's playing a lieutenant he really wasn't a part of any of the scary scenes. So yeah, this is about the closest thing he got to horror. And unfortunately he died three years after the release of the exorcist. This was his final movie. Um, he died from a heart attack. I believe he was, uh, was 64 when he passed away. Yeah. So pretty sad. Um, Moving on to Kitty Wynn. She played Sharon in The Exorcist. She was also in a movie with Al Pacino, uh, The Panic in Needle Park. She was in that. And she returned as Sharon in The Exorcist 2, The the Heretic. A couple years after that, she stopped acting. Uh, Her last appearance was on a TV show called Partners in Crime. She was in one episode. That was in 1984. She just stopped acting. I tried to look into it i couldn't find too much on what she did afterwards i'm sure she probably went off and did something really awesome but it just she decided no i'm done acting i've done what i've done and that's that uh jack mcgowan as burke dennings um burke is a real he's probably the saddest one i'm gonna talk about here uh he was also in movies like night creatures 1962 flick uh he was in the brain from 1962 and he was in the fearless vampire hunters from 1967 the sad part about his story is he was not even alive when the exorcist was released um he passed away about 11 months beforehand. He uh, passed away January 30th of 1973. And the movie was released December 26th of 73. So practically a full year went by. And he had he passed away before the movie was even released. So he never got to see what this movie did to the world. Uh, it's kind of a, a, it's a real downer. Um, Jason Miller. Now he plays Father Karras. Uh, we would also see him again in The Exorcist 3, uh, pretty much reprising his role. Uh, they credit, what it, if I remember correctly, The Exorcist 3, they credit him as oh, Patient X, I think it is. But like you pretty much know he's playing Father Karras, who's just, I, at least, fuck, it's been a while since I watched Exorcist 3. I should go back and rewatch that one, but... 
I, if I remember correctly, he was he was he wasn't credited as Karis in that one. Uh, he was also in the Ninth Configuration. He was in Light of Day, the movie with Michael J. Fox, and he was in the movie Rudy. He passed away at the age of sixty-two in May of two thousand one. Uh, we're going to move on to William O'Malley as Father Joseph Dyer. This is his only movie, kids. Uh, well, they give him two acting credits because there was a documentary done years later um, about The Exorcist, and he was in that. So, technically, they give him two acting credits, but this is his only film. Um, he passed away this year. Uh, in July, he was uh, 91 when he passed away. Finally, the name you've all been waiting to hear, and I can gladly tell you she's still alive, so don't worry about it. <laughs> she didn't pass away. Linda Blair as Regan McNeil. Oh, yes, good old Linda. We love Linda. Um, She was also in The Exorcist too, The Heretic, obviously. And she was not in a. She was not in The Exorcist Three. She was only in the second sequel. She's also been in movies like Summer of Fear, Hell Night, Savage Streets, uh, Red Heat, Night Force, Bad Blood, Witchery, The Chilling, Zapped Again. You guys must know that one. That one was pretty good. Um, Repossessed. For those of you who remember that movie, that's the movie that spoofed The Exorcist. Um, Back when they were doing this a lot, there were there was a lot of these spoof movies coming out like Hot Shots, uh, Top Secret, Airplane, and then there was this one, uh, Repossessed, which spoofed The Exorcist. Had basically you know Linda Blair getting possessed again by Satan this time, not Pazuzu, but it was Satan this time. Uh, the movie also starred Leslie Nielsen and Ned Beatty. Um, <laughs> so if you've seen that. I, it's watchable. Let's put it that way. I, I wouldn't say it's one of the greatest spoops ever. I think Airplane pretty much holds that title, but um, it, it's not bad. Like it was watchable. I enjoyed it when I saw it way back when. Uh, she's also had appearances on TV shows like Married with Children. She was in Supernatural. Um, oh yeah, and she was the obnoxious reporter in Scream. Not Gail Weathers. The other one, yeah. Um, but let's let's be fair here, okay? When you think Linda Blair, of all her roles she has acted in, it's the one you think of the most. It's this one. This is the one she will always be remembered for. The movie is rated R for strong language and disturbing images. The runtime is two hours and two minutes long. The budget was $12 million. Oh, hello, worldwide gross at $441.3 million. Eat that shit. Yes. For a $12 million movie. Like, wow. Awesome. I saw that gross. I was like, holy shit. The synopsis for the movie is pretty much simple. When young Regan starts acting odd, levitating, speaking in tongues, her worried mother seeks medical help, only to hit a dead end. A local priest, however, thinks the girl may be seized by the devil. The priest makes a request to perform an exorcism, and the church sends in an expert to help with the difficult job. So, okay. We're going to do this a bit differently. 
The podcast zero rating for this movie is 10 demons out of 10. And you're like, wow, seriously, he jumped over everything else. No, the reason I'm doing it this way is because I honestly can't bury that lead. You know where this is going. (laughs) This is one of those movies. One, that I will find it almost impossible to critique. And secondly, because why go through everything else to tell you something you already know at the end of the episode? Movie is 10 out of 10. And there's not a shred of criticism in my heart that I could bring myself to say it's anything less than a 10. So, like I said earlier, it's also the reason I strayed from doing this movie, but at the same time, yes, okay. I probably, if I wanted to, I could find things to ding on this movie about if I looked hard enough, but why bother? Like, honestly, why bother? This movie is too good of a movie to try and outsmart and say, ha-ha, I caught you, you know, or this is what bothers me about this movie. I'm not going to be that guy, okay? I... It's a clear fact. I love this movie. So instead of doing the waste of time sitting here trying to figure out a way that I can talk about this movie that you haven't heard before, I'll just give you right now. The rating is 10 out of 10. Also, I mean, here's the thing with The Exorcist. This is... um, very intimidating yet at the same time very liberating because then it's like i also don't have to really think about (laughs) what to say because it's like it's already been said uh there's countless documentaries there's interviews there's articles trivia facts etc etc there's so much out there and most fans of the genre have seen this movie and most Fans of this movie have seen one, most, or all of those things I mentioned. The documentaries, the interviews, the articles. There's Entertainment Tonight pieces on YouTube. And that's the thing. YouTube videos. Podcast reviews. Like, how many people have talked about this movie? 50 years this movie has existed. And it's been talked about every year. Okay, so... There's nothing... There was nothing I could do to spin on this movie that you're like, okay, I haven't heard that before. So, with all that said, this is what I will do for this part of the show. I'll bring my own spin in on this from my experiences, my viewpoints on this movie. And also why I think the new movie has failed to win the hearts of so many who love the original. And I think it comes down to something very simple. I've had this discussion with many people before. Now I'm bringing it to my listening audience. Is this movie a drama? Filled with natural or supernatural elements added? Or is it a straight up horror film? See, because the way I've always approached this movie. And I think this is why the new movie is failing. It's because I've always felt that this movie was a drama first and a horror second. Don't get me wrong. It's the reason I love the horror genre. But I don't think it was meant to be a horror movie. You have a lot of real things in this movie with some supernatural subplots just sort of scattered about. I mean, the struggle of a helpless mother. Let's look at Ellen Burstyn's character. Chris, she's a helpless mother 
who doesn't believe in spooks, spirits, ghosts, anything. She's very logical-minded, right? She, she it, it, at times, it, I mean, you pretty much get the feeling she's atheist. She doesn't believe in God or the devil either. And now all of a sudden, she has to witness some shit going on. Granted, every symptom in the movie that Regan has, mostly, could be tied to some strange phenomena with a scientific background. But, and that's what her mind is thinking, right? But she can't believe what she's seeing. She doesn't understand it. And when she goes to the doctors, and all the doctors are saying, we don't know what's wrong with her. We don't know what to do with this problem. Now she has to, like like the synopsis said, it's a dead end. What do you do next? Where do you go next? She gets... The one doctor uh, recommends to her, have you tried exorcism? And she she laughs. She's like, are you kidding me? This is where you're going. You want to send me to a witch doctor? She goes to a priest. Little does she know that by the end of this story, that seems to be the thing that saved her daughter. The one thing she didn't believe in is the one thing that it was. Um, So there's that whole struggle going on. You know, spiritual versus science. And she she clearly leans towards the science. She, She doesn't believe in spirits and ghosts and demons and the devil and stuff like that. That's a really big struggle that people in the real world we feel that you know there's a lot of us especially as we're younger growing up into our older years is you know we go through that struggle ourselves like okay the things that i grew up with that you know they told me i should believe in is it real or not she leaned one way you know what i mean and so when the story is unfolding it's it's we see that character development throughout the whole movie where it's like she goes from being Chris at the beginning of the movie what she is at the end of the movie. I haven't seen the new movie yet. I assume that they have that now she's fully believing into the whole spiritual and the whole exorcism thing and stuff like that. I can't speak on behalf of the movie yet because I don't know, but I have the, my biggest fear when this sequel was coming out was... Are they going to treat it with those dramatic pieces of storytelling or are they going to go full on horror from the sounds of it? They tried to go full on horror and that's just not, and it's not a, a, a direct sequel. Then another story or another story piece within the movie, the exorcist, you have the struggling man of God. That's a, another real key point. Father Karras specifically is a man whose faith is wavering. You can you you know he's not sure he believes in the church anymore. He feels helpless to the control of the men at the top. You know, he wants to get this exorcism done for this girl. He has to convince the mother that it's the right thing to do and at the same time he has to convince the church to say, "Hey, we'll allow you to do this or we'll help you or we believe it." As a matter of fact, I believe at even one point in the movie they even say the amount of phenomena that isn't actually in you know a demon possession but people think it is and stuff like you can tell like he he's conflicted in him in himself and on top of that his mother is sick 
And so he has to go through that as well. Like it, it shows a man who's only, he's literally he's broken. He's broken man. Um, now the church does in time, they send father Marin to aid in the exorcism, but the struggles that father Karras has, it shows he is one hell of a conflicted man. And again, that's what I was talking about earlier, that, that the, the moments of conflict in this movie, this movie is based on conflict. Um, I will say the novel, the book for The Exorcist, stressed on these themes a lot more than the movie did. The movie, uh, they condensed a lot of it down, keep the runtime down. But in the book, there is a lot more, especially um, the stories with Regan. Some of the things that she went through is a lot more elaborate in the book than it was in the movie. Um, So I will say that. And that's the thing... um, with this story as well is the book, you know, I, and I usually when I do these kinds of movies, I try not to bring the book too much into the discussion. But the thing is, is that the book, when William Blatty wrote the book, he intended it to be a dramatic story telling novel. He, he did not see it as a horror tale. Um, and that's the thing, like the, the book itself, was more drama driven than supernatural. There is supernatural shit going on in the book, but it really focused on the human element of the characters, their conflicts that they went through, the the things that they they struggled with almost in a way that it was like okay, you have the mother who doesn't believe in God, you have the priest who's struggling with his belief in God. And the only thing that could save this little girl is if these two can find their faith and find their strength to help this girl be free of this demon. And it's, it's a really interesting way how the story was told. This is the thing. There's layers. There's a ton of layers to the exorcist. And I will say this. And I'll get back to my point. When people say this movie is overrated or this story is overrated, suck it. It is not. Because exactly where I'm going with this, there's so many layers. And I think that this is why people are saying this new Exorcist movie is not anywhere near as good as the original. I will also say, though, I, I am that guy. Should we be asking this sequel to be as good as... You know, as the original, I don't think so. Because the original is this much of a masterpiece. Um, I mean, okay, so here's the thing. Um, The book. I'll talk briefly about the book. The book is actually inspired by a real-life case. In 1949, there was an exorcism uh, done by William S. Bowdern and Raymond J. Bishop. And it was the exorcism of Roland Doe. Now, Roland Doe was actually a pseudonym uh, that was given to the 14-year-old boy who they were doing this exorcism on. They did a bunch of this, did a series of exorcisms. Uh, they had to keep the boy's identity classified, so he he was known to the world as Roland Doe. And I guess in 2021, they actually finally copped up his real identity. I uh, I apologize. I don't have it written down. I don't know what his real name was, but I, apparently they did 
announce who his who he was, and I guess it's because they were allowed to because he had passed away the year before in 2020. Um, the inspiration for The Exorcist is a very real story. So, the novel was based on a real story. The movie was trying it, when when they were directing this film, they were trying to make it feel very real. So I think that's why. At least in my opinion, I've always felt The Exorcist is a drama first, horror second. Uh, but uh, let's let's look at it another way. Regardless of what the movie is classified as, okay, or what genre is meant to be a part of, it's made its mark. It's made its mark to the point where it's been copied, pasted, spoofed, and sequelized way too many times. That's another thing why I, I think this new sequel isn't working. Because much like I was... What franchise was I talking about at the beginning of the show? Remember I said hold on to that thought because it all comes full circle. Halloween. At what point do we say enough is enough? I mean, for me personally, okay, when it comes to the Exorcist franchise, I thought... Do you remember the TV series from Fox? There was the Exorcist. Uh, Gina Davis was in the first season. It was a two-season series. Fox canceled it, in my opinion, way too soon, but maybe, I'll be honest with you, it could have been The Blessing in Disguise because I still really love that TV series, even though we never did see further than that second season, and I wish we would have, but I do still hold a lot of love for that show, especially the first season. But the thing is, is that I sometimes wish it would have stopped there. Um, the new movie that came out recently, it's got poor reviews. I've seen a lot of negative. I've seen some positive, but I've seen a lot of negative. And maybe, much like with Halloween and some of these other franchises, maybe it's a case of dipping our feet into the water too many times. Maybe this is solid proof that once a movie hits its peak, once a movie comes out, and it's just that damn good, it should just be left to age like a fine wine, and we walk away from it. Let it just be. I think of some of my favorite movies, and there's one, they're one and dones. The Monster Squad, a one and done. I, I don't want a sequel. Trick or treat, one and done. Let's not do another one. Let's let it sit. Let, it will age like a fine wine. People will, you will always have fans wanting a sequel. It's 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 inevitable. It will always happen. As soon as they see that first movie and they're like, oh my god, I love it, they want a sequel. I am sort of that weird guy that when I see a movie and it's like I absolutely fall in love with it, if it's not left on an absolute cliffhanger, I'm like, I don't, no more. No, just leave it. Let it age. Return of the Living Dead, honestly, in my opinion, is the only Return of the Living Dead. I do like parts two and three, but part one is literally the perfect start and beginning, or start and beginning, start and ending for me. I wish we never had the sequels. And in my own mind, I can create my own little multiverse world where there's just the first one and there's nothing else. Um, but sometimes sometimes you get that first film and it's just pure perfection. And it's like, why not just leave it that way? Why do we have to... Mar Who is it just recently? Is it Scorsese? Recently just said that Marvel ruined filmmaking. And, and I think he said that actually a couple of years ago too. Now that I think about it, but <laughs> he's sort of not wrong. 
And it's unfair to blame just Marvel because there were franchises even before that, Star Wars and Star Trek and stuff like We've done this before, but it's true. Like, why not just let a one and done sit and marinate well? You know, some sequels almost never equal better. Oh, it's very rare. You get the odd Godfather 2 that it's like, well, okay, I guess you could do better than your first time. But even... I, where do I rank them? See, I'm a fan when it comes to Rob Zombie, because I was thinking, because he, he once made a comment that he liked doing sequels better than the first films because the sequels, the characters are already established. I do understand where he's coming from. I'm not going to discredit that. But I know this is going to sound very blasphemous when I say this, but I think House of a Thousand Corpses is a wee tiny bit better than The Devil's Rejects. Um... And I love both movies. So, again, sequels almost never equal better. Sometimes one and done is the way to go. Sometimes dead is better. Oh, I know. Bloodlines should have taken that advice. Um, I will say, okay, so because we're going to focus on the Exorcist franchise, right? So I personally will say that I do like Exorcist 3. I enjoyed the Fox TV series. I will even go as far as to say the Exorcist beginning. Uh, what was it? The movie with Stellan Skarsgård? It was alright. I didn't hate it. Uh, but I mean, nothing. Nothing compares to this original. That none of them come close. And I really do like Exorcist 3. But it doesn't, it doesn't touch this film. <laughs> this film that I saw way too early in life and had the power of it lost on me because I was too young to have understood what was going on. I just remember thinking, ooh, she spit up pea soup. Well, I didn't know it was pea soup at the time. I was just like, <laughs> green. <laughs> you know, I, I laughed at things in this movie. Even when I remember, you know, it, her head spinning. You know, it's weird because I've talked to people where that scene actually really bothered them. And the head spin thing made me laugh because I was too young to know what I was watching. My later years, though, as I got older, and I hit around 13, 14, 15, started questioning my own beliefs into religion and science and this world and being like, fuck, there goes my innocence. But anyways, um, I, yeah, my later years, this became one of my most loved movies in my collection. Um I've owned it on all the mainstream formats, VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, digital. VHS, I had both copies. I had the original version, the original theatrical version, and what they called the version you'd never seen, um, which is just the director's cut, but whatever. Um, yeah, so I, I had both those. I have it on... Right now, I currently still own a VHS, DVD, and a blue version of it. Dig, digital, I I think I deleted it by accident, but whatever. And not to mention, it's not how many streaming services are there in the world, and it's on those all the time. So, I mean, I've, I own and have read the book. I have t-shirts, I have posters, soundtrack on Waxwork Records vinyl. I have collectibles. I got a little Regan thing. It was a Regan figure years ago. It was a Christmas gift. <laughs> I would still laugh at that. 
you know, dichotomy. <laughs> Christmas Day, next day, hey, let's celebrate the devil. Um, yeah. Uh, at one point, tubular bells was the ringtone on my phone. Uh, that's the thing with the exorcist. That's why I said way back at the beginning, it's 10 out of 10. Um, the exorcist has become more than just a movie to me. It's like a part of my life. Um, is it my all-time favorite movie? No. No, I've made that very clear. Return of the Living Dead. But it's still a perfect 10. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to hammer this too hard all the time, but as much as I was afraid to talk about this movie, it was time it got the love it deserved on this show. So that's why I'm doing it. Well, I've done it. I've said my piece on it. Um, Should have left it alone after this one, honestly. As much as, like I said, I did. There's certain parts that have come out after that I have enjoyed, but should have left it alone. This was a perfect package from beginning to end. And we have William Friedkin to thank for that. We have William Peter Blatty to thank for that. Ellen Burstyn. Linda Blair. Jason Miller. <laughs> I, I'm sure Mike Oldfield didn't realize that Tubular Bells would become as iconic as it did. I mean, sure, it's one of his best compositions put together, but... <laughs> the Exorcist elevated it to another level. Um, it's that big of a... And, and again, I, I know there's some people out there that feel it's overrated. And okay, you're entitled to be wrong. I'm, I'm, I have no problems with that. But it, in my opinion, this is probably one of the best films ever. Maybe not my favorite, but it is... Is right up there with The Godfather Part 2. And that I consider practically a perfect movie as well. And on that note, thanks for listening to my not perfect show. <laughs> um, but thanks for coming back. Um, yeah, last week was uh, last week was nice to come back and actually do a full review. And this week was fun as well. I know I two shows now in a row where I haven't followed the format I created a while back, but whatever. I wanted to do this one differently because I knew it was a different kind of movie. This isn't one where I could say, oh yeah, by the way, this looked hokey or this... Yeah, no. There was nothing I could criticize. And if I sound like I'm being too biased, well, you're entitled to be wrong about my opinion. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding with you. Um, but thanks for coming back. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for putting up with my bad humor and my opinions and my sarcasm and all the fun shit that comes with Podcast Zero. Uh, yeah. So I also realized that last week I did something wrong. I was talking about Twitter on here. Yeah, It's not called Twitter anymore. It's X. Which, maybe I actually kind of like that 
better because Twitter always sounded like it was too flaky to me. It felt like it's where all the flakes go. And it's like, mm, no, because then I sound like that guy that's calling everyone a snowflake. And I'm not that guy either. So it was like, ah, oh, whatever. But anyway, so you can find the show on Facebook, like the social media accounts. You can find it on Facebook, Instagram, and X. I like the X. Not a big fan of Elon Musk, but X. Yeah, okay, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it. As for the show itself, you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, Podcast Addict, Podbean. I also was made aware that sometimes the show is delayed on certain podcast apps. Like, I'm, I'll promote it on social media and then find out, oh, Podbean uploaded it three hours after it was promoted and so so if if you listen on you know certain apps and they're a little delayed don't worry it will show up there so if you see it on social media and you're like oh great new episode and you go to look and it's not on your favorite app yet give it time it will get there um (laughs) just apparently they upload at different times but anyways thanks for tuning in uh, oh yeah, and the email. Email what lurks behind podcast zero at gmail.com. Apparently the only people who use the email account though are spammers. I get a lot of spam in that one. It's like, gee, thanks. Um nobody here to tell me they love me except uh, you know, maybe tell me that they have a video of me masturbating if I don't give them four hundred and twenty, you know squid coins or something like that. what is it? Bitcoin. Yeah, that's what it is. Bitcoin. Ooh, I need 420 Bitcoin right now. Okay, okay. I'll get right on that. Yeah, because you definitely have that video. I don't even have a webcam hooked up anywhere, you dumb shits. Notice I'm not denying the other thing because... Figure I give you a stick to beat me with. I don't fucking know. Um, yeah, but no, they... <laughs> fucking spam, man. I almost find it entertaining sometimes. Isn't that that's wrong, isn't it? Like these these I don't know. Your Amazon account has expired as I'm watching something on Prime right now. Okay. Yeah. Your Netflix account has been closed. It has? Then how am I watching Castlevania right now? Um yeah, I I love those ones. We tried to deliver something to your house. I have nothing on order. <laughs> okay, that was a good one. Um you know what I mean? Like What's really sad is that we live in a world where people do believe it. The one about it, but I will say, because I only got that one recently, and I was like, that's a fucking new one. Apparently, it's been around for a while, but the whole, we we have video of you masturbating thing. <laughs> this one made me laugh, because I was like, huh? Like, okay, if you've just sent this to somebody who, let's say it's possible that they've never masturbated their whole life do you honestly think they're gonna fall for that one like i don't know but again spam accounts right like like i said tell me that i can't get on netflix as i'm watching it or your amazon account or what it, it, it always makes me i don't know it's the world we live in people here i uh, i i shit talk movies that's that's my you know offering to the gods I don't know but some people I don't know 
But I, I, I will I will say I am that guy. When I get spam emails, I do like to open them. I know. Or, I tread on dangerous waters because one of these days there will be a virus. But I, I like to see the creativity of people sometimes. It's like, what fucking thing are you going to try to pull on me this time? Unless, well, that's the thing. If I see that it says it has like a scary attachment, I won't open it. There are, I do know how to use discretion. <laughs> but um, anyways, I've talked about this spam thing for a lot longer than I planned on. Should probably just end the show, right? You need to shut the fuck up. Sometimes that is better. Thank you.